Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hey everyone, it's Anna. And it's Ashley. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Two Girls Talking. If yeah. y'all haven't heard, we recently won an award, which is a big, exciting deal. Mom, yes, we did. So, um, with that being said, I'm so inter- excited to introduce our first guest on what we can say is now our award-winning podcast. So, That's right. Yay. Friend, Dr. Subrat Bargave, he's known as Dr. B. He is a renowned and respected educator, speaker. He's a psychiatrist. He specializes in working with kids and adolescents. And I have had the pleasure of working with him through my work at Nardi Media. And him and his wife, Callie, have become such great friends of mine. Dr. B is also author of the book, A Moment of Insight, Universal Lessons Learned from a Psychiatrist's Couch. We're going to talk all about that today. So buckle up. And Dr. B, thank you so much for joining us today. So excited to have you here. Thank you, ladies, for having me, and I am honored that I'm the first official guest on this award-winning podcast, well-deserved award-winning podcast, so congratulations. The work you guys are doing are fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. We have, a, we have a, a great time doing this, Ashley and I. Well, you know Ash, uh, you and I have just met, but if you know Ash, I'm just like her, and we can talk for forever, so we're excited. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that any of the times where uh, Ashley and I were able to get together and have coffee were ever short conversations. <laughs> we needed a few pots of coffee, not a, not a cup of coffee. That is true. That's true. All right. Well, Dr. B, I want our listeners to get to know you. And, and so, I mean, we're going to dive into the book. We have so much to talk about. But let's talk about you first. Tell us about yourself, your work, and what you do so our listeners can learn about you. Well, thank you. Yes. So I am a child, adolescent, adult psychiatrist. And, uh, you know, one one of the things I always like to start off and say is a lot of times people are not exactly sure what a psychiatrist even does. And what I tell people is I have the pleasure of sitting with people during difficult times and just checking in with them and finding out how they're really doing. Um, You know, it's, it's one thing to go in to see all the other fantastic specialties of medicine where they ask you how you're doing and your immediate answer is to answer about your physical self. When I'm asking how you're doing, I'm asking about the whole picture. I want to know emotionally, where are you right now? Certainly physically, what's going on with you? And even spiritually, you know, kind of what's happening within you that's really causing you to either feel balanced in your life or feeling um, really filled with angst. So as, an, as a psychiatrist, I feel like I get to deal with the, the whole self. And that, that was the appeal for me to go into psychiatry. Um, and, and getting, when I say I get to sit with people, it, it's, people don't usually come to see a psychiatrist when things are going well, right? So right, right. The, the, when I call it an honor or a privilege, what I mean is when people are hurting, they have to let you in in order to, to help them out. And I've had thousands of people come and sit with me during those times and as a result, I, I've been able to learn a lot just through the lessons that they've learned. So it's been, it's been a fantastic journey to be a psychiatrist. Wow. That's amazing. Can I just say we all need a psychiatrist right now? Like, I wish somebody yeah. would sit and ask me, how are you really doing? Because let me just say, like, full-blown honesty, like, I'm not doing so well. <laughs> like, yeah. right. You know, so, and I feel like we need to, as, as moms, as friends, like, I, I, I think we need to be having more of these real conversations rather than what we're seeing on social media. So it's, it's amazing that 
you get to do this important work that I think needs to happen mm-hmm. more often, not just in a psychiatrist sure. office, but everywhere. Well, you know what's interesting, Ash, is that, I mean, yes, right now, you know, we are still five months later, six months later, we are still in this pandemic mode. But I think what's so interesting by what you just said, and Dr. B, tell me what you think about this, is that we are kind of, you know, I don't want to say immune, that's not right, but we're kind of getting used to this quote unquote new normal, that I think that some of the anxiety, some of the pressure, some of the um, weight that has been on us as humans is now not necessarily from the pandemic, but, uh, but since we are at home so much, we're seeing the other types of things that always weighed us down, like always having to be with our kids. Not that we don't always love them, but everybody needs a little bit of me time. And I think that parents are are having trouble finding that. Yeah. And kids to a degree are also having trouble finding that too. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, Ash, because I think that what we're coming what we're handling with and you and I are both going through this are dealing not just with what's pandemic, but kind of like uh, like collateral damage, I guess, of the pandemic. No, I completely agree on it. I mean, to to me, we are at a interesting crossroads, right? As as a global community, where um, this is an incredible opportunity for us. I know it's a dilemma, but this is really an opportunity for us to open up conversations about our emotional well being. Uh, because there is no one right now, I, I think I can say that even in a blanket statement, and I don't make very many blanket statements, there's no one right now who isn't at least a little thrown off. And there are many people right now who are really struggling. And, and to be able to say, for me to say to you, I don't have it all together right now, uh, I think you can relate to me. And the fact that you can relate to me means that maybe you won't judge me. And if you won't judge me, maybe I'm willing to be even more vulnerable and tell you what I mean when I say I'm not doing really well right now. And, and, and the, the courage that it takes for patients to come in and see me in my office, for example, I think they don't even understand the courage it takes to do that. That the, the greatest uh, gift or offering you will give anyone in any relationship is your ability to be vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. If I show up, I, I, my wife, uh, Ashley mentioned, Kelly, we've, you know, we've been married 28 years. And sometimes people will say, well, what's the secret to a happy marriage? And I say, it's, it's the courage to be vulnerable. And yeah. it's the other person being willing to hold you in that moment. Um, yeah, yeah. Right? So I think we're all in a place right now when, when we say we're having a tough time, um, we're able to just listen to the other person in a way we haven't been able to before. Uh, right. we're, we're able to say things aren't so great right now, and no one's going to question that. Because the truth is right now, you can look everywhere around you and you know things aren't great right now. So I, I hope that we'll take this as an opportunity to really start delving into emotional well-being and, and to deal with the stigma of um, psychiatry and mental illness, we first have to change the word mental illness. Uh, if, I, if I walk into a room and ask a room full of people, how many of you in here have a mental illness? Most people, even if they do, aren't willing to raise their hands. But if I walk into the same room and I say, how many of you could stand to be more emotionally well right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Most of us would raise our hands, and especially now, most of us would raise our hands. So let's really look at this as an opportunity, a global opportunity to start having meaningful conversations about the things that really matter. And what really matters is how we feel and how we define who we really are. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. True. And that's a perfect segue to talk about your book, A Moment of Insight, um, really about finding who we really are. This book has changed the lives of so many. Like I know people who have personally been touched by this book, including my own life. So Dr. B, tell our audience a little bit more about your book, why you decided to write it, and who is it for? Hmm. So it's for anyone out there right now who would like a way of understanding who they are in a constant way so that when life goes up and down, you're not rocked by it. Mm -hmm. So how's that? That kind of all of us, doesn't it? What that that really means is if I have a sense of who I am and it's not tied to what I'm doing, what people say about me, what else is is happening in, in my life, who else is around me right now, if my sense of self is really rooted in understanding that I am constantly, and I would say divinely worthy and valuable, then I can deal with life. And so this book really came from sitting again with, with people in difficult times who time after time were, were being rocked by what was going on with them, what had gone wrong with them, the traumas they had experienced, what they were feeling, and ultimately what kept coming out after every session was, we've got to first tackle shame. We've got to understand why it is that you are worthy already right now in front of me. Why for all the reasons you think you are broken, you've never been. Um, and why it's okay to be uncomfortable when the world is going up and down and it doesn't say anything about you. So this book really was, was written as a way of kind of dispensing that wisdom. That, that's so interesting. So is this book really about um, your, your patients? moment of insight or is it about yours? Yeah, so I I wrote this book as a way of honoring my patients um, and as a way of passing on their wisdom. You know, when I say wisdom, people sometimes shirk away from that and and think that that's the the person with the gray hair sitting on a mountain somewhere. And wisdom is the knowledge that comes from living life. So you've lived a life and I've lived a life, therefore you have wisdom and I have wisdom. What I found out though, was that when people suffer, when we're in a difficult place, we start asking really deep questions about why, why are we suffering? Who are we? Why do bad things happen? And as yeah. a result, the answers that come out of that were, were overlapping and the same. So I wanted to really write the book to say, here's what my patients have taught me, but I really wanted the book to be a conversation and to, for it to be a conversation, I, I knew I needed to put myself in it. I made the decision to also be courageous and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I talked about my own story in the book as a way of saying we've all gone through something. Otherwise, if I don't share my own experience, then it almost comes across as me preaching or people would say, well, look at what he's got now. How would he know really what it's like not feel your best? Uh, and I just wanted to say we all feel uh, insecure at times. And here's why I felt it. You do talk about your own personal experience of being sexually abused by a family member when you were younger. So can you tell us, you know, how did you recover from this experience and what advice can you give to others who may be victims of any forms of abuse? And to, to add on to that, to couple onto that piggyback, were you able, to, did you seek help to get past it? I mean, you said that, you know, you, you, your journey to where you become and, you know, you talked about why you became a psychiatrist, you know, inside of others. Is it, um, were you were you guided there? I mean, you know, you you sound like a very strong person, and I have never met you before. But I'm just wondering, did you get help? Is that what 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 pushed you along to help others? It's such a it's such an interesting journey uh, that this has been because as an Indian American, uh, in particular, I don't I don't know that it ever was even in my wheelhouse to think that I could go talk to someone about what I was feeling, much less what I had been through in my life. 
So I, I actually have, had not seen a counselor or a psychiatrist. And in looking back on it, gosh, if I had only known, if my parents had only been comfortable with that or known about it, uh, I, you know, actually going back to what you said, everyone needs a good psychiatrist and a good therapist. I, I, I feel like if we can just get to this, <laughs> we all need a place where we can be vulnerable in, in, the, in the space of four walls and be able to talk about the real stuff, right? And that's really what we do in psychiatry. So, so my experience had been that I, as a child, um, survivor of, of childhood sexual trauma, and it was by a family member who was living with us, um, and this was from the point of being a child to being a teenager. And I kept that to myself because as most people who have gone through trauma will tell you, it fed the story that I wasn't good enough. It was already in my head that somehow I wasn't good enough and, and needed to be better. And then when all of that was also going on and I was holding on to a secret, you know, a secret really weighs on your soul because <laughs> a secret is, doesn't imply something positive, right? I mean, a surprise is something that you're kind of anticipating. You can't wait for people to find out about the surprise, but a secret is something you hold on to. And as long as you're holding on to something, then there's something about how you feel about yourself that's going to hold you back. So I, I dealt with it on my own. I talk about in the book of reaching a really low point in my life of, of recognizing and, and realizing that I was working so hard to be the perfect friend and, 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 and um, student and, and all these other roles in my life. And now it was all kind of caving in on, in on me and I needed to find some other way of thinking about myself. So I, I describe how I went through it and, and kind of came to a place of, of thinking that I had resolved all of that work within myself only to find out when it, when it came out unexpectedly to my wife when I finally said out loud what I had gone through that even though I thought I was done, I wasn't done with it. Shame is the first part of the book that we talk a lot about um, and, and people have and, and generally carry around so much shame and, um, and if you don't tackle that head on, you really, even when you think you got it all put together, you really kind of don't. So by the time that I became a psychiatrist, um, I really thought that now I really was done with it. I had I had worked on it within myself. I had said it out loud to my wife. I had even confronted my perpetrator that I talked about in the book as well, so how that went. Um, and in doing so, I thought, now I'm really, really done with it. And then when people came in and they started describing their experiences, even though they may not have been victims of sexual abuse, again, the shame was there. Um, they're, they're carrying around the feeling of not being good enough and insecure was there. Um, they were still having a hard time um, processing emotions about today, but it was because it was compounded by all these unreleased emotions from the past. Um, and so the journey really wasn't that different for, for any of us. Uh, and so this is my way of kind of saying, well, look, we all seem to be struggling with the same types of things. Why aren't we talking about this? Let's talk about so, it. Can I, can I ask you, I know you, you said that you all kind of struggled with the same things. Did that give you a sense of not being so lonely no, knowing that there were others who've gone through that. Like Ash and I talk all the time about um, as, as moms and as entrepreneurs, uh, we talk about when we, when we are within different like networking groups that we feel that we can be vulnerable when we're around other women and it makes us feel um, better about ourselves because there are other people who, other women, people who are going through the same things that she and I do. We just, women just seem to talk about them more. Did that, did you have the same kind of um, feeling when, did, did you kind of realize that other people were there with you? 
Yeah, you know, again, it's interesting because on some level, as you, as you go through life and, and, and you become older, I think you, you're become aware of the fact, I mean, I'd heard the statistics, I knew how many people out there um, ha- had to have been in a position where they had been abused as well. And yet you can know the numbers, but you, you just still can't imagine that that could be anyone in your circle. And, and it certainly couldn't be anyone you looked up to or respected or liked. Um, that they must be, you know, in, internally, no one would go through what I was going through. No one was thinking what I was thinking. No one was feeling down on themselves the way I was. And that's not true. And so becoming a psychiatrist and having people be uh, forthcoming and what they were feeling and thinking, it turns out people who come to see a psychiatrist are, n- are no different than your neighbors and your family members and your best friend. And, and, and so whatever idea you have in your head of who needs to see a psychiatrist, well, who out there doesn't have some struggle? Who out there doesn't feel like they're not quite doing their best job of being the perfect parent or, or a great entrepreneur or, or a professional or a child? So, so we, we really ultimately, when I say we're struggling with the same things, it may not have been that you, I hope you haven't ever, uh, anyone out there listening, have experienced what it means to be a survivor of, of childhood sexual trauma. But I'm sure at some point in your life, you have felt insecure. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and no, matter ah. what, no matter what we've gone through in life, no matter what we've gone through in life, I promise you, there's nothing that you have ever felt that I haven't felt. And so let's just start there and finding common ground. There's no emotion you have felt that I haven't felt. My experiences might be different than yours, but our emotions are the same. Let's start with common ground and move from there. Hmm. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. I also want to get into something else that your book talks about that I love. Uh, and it's the idea that everyone has gifts, five gifts, and, and that we should be using them on a daily basis. So can you talk to us about that? So how, how can our audience members know what their gifts are? And then how do they apply them, especially when we are so busy right now in our world of managing kids and, and life? Yeah. So this is, again, going back to a dilemma versus an opportunity. This is situation that we find ourselves in, it's actually an opportunity for you to really dig deep and find out what your gifts are, because every one of us has them. Um, this, this came to me again at that low point in my life that I, I mentioned earlier, where I was in college, and I really thought I, I was um, spinning my wheels trying to be, you know, the perfect everything, the perfect student, the perfect everything. And um, I was exhausted. Because as, as many of you who are out there who are perfectionistic can relate to, you can't be the best at everything. You can't. And perfectionists, you know, we, we hold ourselves to a standard of give it 110%. And then we wonder why we're so exhausted all the time. There, there is no 110%. And when I say to fellow perfectionists, you, you can give 100%, they think they're settling. So I was trying my best to keep going and keep going and keep going and be even better and be even better and be even better. And then I reached a point where I was so low and I, and I realized that um, even when I thought people thought whatever they thought of me, it turns out I had no idea what people were really thinking about me. Uh, and I was basing my sense of self on what I thought they were thinking. So I gave myself the task of coming up with my five gifts. And I, and I said, you know, you have 10 days to come up with your five gifts. So until the following Sunday, I told myself, you have to write down your five gifts. And what I knew the gifts to mean was These are traits about me that I just can't deny. On a good day, on a bad day, when I feel good about myself, when I don't feel good about myself, when life is going well, when life is not going well, what are your five traits? You wake up and you just can't deny you've got these five traits. 
Well, I thought 10 days, five gifts that I was giving myself enough time. But if you have not done this exercise, I'm telling you, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Um, I, I, it took me all 10 days to come up with the fifth gift. Uh, I looked at this list of five gifts in front of me and I thought, well, if these are my gifts, I don't want to waste my gifts. And so it shifted my view of only noticing what I wasn't doing well and all the things I felt like I'd messed up and the secret that I was hiding. And it made me sort of go into my day each day saying, well, let's find a way to use these gifts every single day, at least one of them. And, and I found that it gave me a way of balancing myself um, so that I wasn't just noticing what I wasn't doing well. Um, and even on a bad day, and especially on a bad day, I would say to myself, and, and look, the tone in my head has evolved, but at that point in my life, I was very self-deprecating. And so the tone in my head on a bad day was, oh yeah, you think you have that? Fine, go use it today. And it was that kind of a challenge on a bad day. So the one gift I share and I share in the book is that I, I knew I had empathy. I wrote that one down really quickly because I knew I had empathy. I knew I could understand how other people feel. And so on a really bad day, I'd say, okay, you know, if you think you've got empathy, fine, go use it. And so I would go out in the world and let's say that I, I would go to the grocery store and run into the cashier there. Um, you know, as they ask you, did you find everything okay and how's your day been? Well, remember, I'm looking to use empathy. And so I would actually sit, answer back and say, yeah, I'm doing great. You look really busy. <laughs> and the other person might say, well, it's been a really crazy sort of day. And I'll, I might say, well, I hope you get off of work soon. And that person might answer, I, I have another hour to go. I might then answer, well, hang in there, because the good thing about being busy is, you know, it goes by quickly, and I hope you go home and do nothing the rest of your day. And I would leave that exchange, and, and she would smile, or I would smile, and I would pat myself on the back walking away from that, and I'd say, you know what? Sure enough, you do have empathy. Even on this bad day, you have empathy. And so it was my way of, of honoring who I am that I didn't have to even work at. I don't have to get a degree in having empathy. I already have it. I already have it. So, so how that changed my world was it gave me a way to sure enough work on what I needed to work on, but realize that as long as I have these gifts, then I am a constant. And if I am a constant, then I can deal with whatever else is going on in the world. And it was a way for me to kind of take off from there. And, and it changed everything for me, ladies. I mean, it changed the kind of parent that I became because I wanted my children to recognize that they have gifts. Uh, and, and the great thing about gifts is it's not about my gifts being better or worse than yours. You have yours. I have mine. It's not about me uh, measuring up to anyone else's or, or me even knowing what your gifts are. But I just want you to know you have gifts. I have gifts. And, and we need to know what that is for each one of us. And so mm -hmm. I've raised my children with a sense of understanding that they are gifted. And, and I would say to them that those gifts never change. Therefore, who you are never changes what you do changes all the time, right? Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't get it right, but it never changes who you are. What you do and who you are are two different things. And it's a very different message I would ask, you know, the parents out there, the moms out there to think about because without realizing it, we mix those two things together all the time, right? You bring home a report card, we're like, oh, I'm so proud of you and you're so smart and look what you did. We mixed what they did with who they are. What if we said, wow, there you go again. Look at you being so creative. Oh, man, you really are just so motivated. What if we pointed out their gift? Well, they can use that gift no matter what they're doing, right? You can be motivated for something else right now. Or, but, but not tying it to an action, not tying it to a result, that's really what happened to me when I understood my gifts. Do you think that like, when we're talking to our kids about their gifts, 
as a parent, should we just be like, oh, I'm that, look how creative you are. Look how motivated you are. Or do you think we should actually like do an exercise like this, like you say that adults should do in your book and like sit down and help kids identify their gifts? I'm yeah, wondering I, think, that. I, think, I think it should be a conscious pursuit for each one of us to understand that we have gifts and it's worth finding out what those are. Right. We spend a lot of time. We, we keep talking about how busy we are. But we're, yeah. willing, we're willing to put in a lot of energy into all the things that we need to do. We need to know who we are individually. And our kids need to know what their gifts are. So, yeah, I think it's good to sit down with your child, whatever age they are, use the appropriate language and say, you know, when I say I love you, it has nothing to do with who, what you just did for me. And I'm glad you emptied the dishwasher. Thank you for doing that. But you know what? That has nothing to do with my love for you. When I say I love you, it's because I see in you qualities and traits that have always been there from the moment you, I held you the first time, they've always been there. And you should know what those are. And I won't tell them to you. I know what they are. I'm going to write down the list of what I think your gifts are, but I want you to know what your gifts are. So let's help you find out what those gifts are. And if you can help a young child do that, then who they are will forever be solid as opposed to their lives because we can't guarantee that they're going to have a life without hurdle. In fact, we can almost guarantee that they will have a life filled with adversity. But if you know who you are and if you know that who you are makes you constantly divinely worthy, well, we can deal with life. Do you think that the, your gifts change? I don't think your gifts change. I think that your awareness of them changes. And it turns out I have so many more than five gifts. Mm -hmm. so, so I've had people ask me, you know, why five? And I think, I think it was because, again, that critical young self that would beat myself up thought that if I told myself to come up with my three gifts, well, that's nothing. Three's not much. If I gave myself the task to come up with their 10 gifts, I knew I wasn't going to be good enough to come up with 10. So I think it, five just popped in my head as a number that if you put in effort, you should be able to do. Um, but the fact of the matter is we all have innumerable and people will sometimes say to me, if I change my mind, can I take it off my list? And I like to say to them, that's the perfectionistic person in you talking, but I tell you, <laughs> if you feel like you need to take it off, you can take it off. The fact is no one ever takes off something on their list. They redefined it, they saw it as something else. Because if it's your gift, it's always been there and it'll be there tomorrow, no matter how your day goes tomorrow. I have to say, you know, I just, as you were talking, I had a little aha moment, because um, I walked by my daughter's room this morning saw that she had written a comparison between her and her horse like she has in this horseback riding camp and she wrote on on the front um on her door descriptions about herself and it was like Alyssa kindness caring compassionate so I was like maybe she is just already identifying her yeah, gifts that's, that's fun <laughs> yes. and you know what's so wonderful about that is those gifts will come in handy when she's riding a horse perhaps but they'll also come in handy when she's helping her sister with her homework. And, the, and so your gifts constantly show up, right? So no matter how your life is going, your gift is a constant uh, identification of who you really, really are. And so what she's already realizing is I'm this, this, and this. Yeah. And yeah. So I've got to be doing something, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. I, I, tell, I tell Ashley this all the time is that I have to stop projecting on my kids what I want to achieve for, for me. You know what I mean? I have to stop doing that with our kids, which is interesting because Ashley and I talk about this all the time about how, about the mental well-being uh, of our kids and, and, and talking, you know, with them. I've made a really conscious decision 
to talk about all things with my kids. And my son, I think he's older, and I think he tends to be a little more open about that. Uh, my daughter just turned a teenager, and but but Ashley will tell you this: she's been a teenager all of her life. So, but lately she's just been exper- uh, exhibiting those those teenage behaviors. Um, but she's the one who Joey Joey too to some degree, although you know he's he's older now and he's he's come back. But certainly my daughter Alexandra, she's very much the one like, I'm good, mom. I'm fine. Don't need ya. Don't need help. Thank you so much. You know, and all I want to do is like punch her in the throat and say, "You do need my help. You need it." <laughs> but but I can't. I think what you're describing is what each one of us has felt. It's- and many moments in our in our role as a parent, which is, you know, we want to be there for them. We want to create a space for them where they can come to us for anything. And when they don't, it's a little frustrating because it's like, look, I know what happens when you don't come to, to talk to someone. I know how that can go. Like you said, you know, your own goals for yourself, we tend to project onto our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, I, but I think it's still okay that sometimes they're not going to tell us as long as we're making um, a platform, a, a space for them to know that it's okay to talk. And for them to know it's okay to talk means we have to start it by, by demonstrating what it means to be vulnerable. We have to be able to say today's not a great day and be able to talk about it in a way that, depending on the age of the child, lets them know that everyone struggles sometimes. Mm-hmm. Everyone at some point um, it feels sad or frustrated or disappointed or overwhelmed or, or happy or joyful uh, or nervous. Uh, you know, we, we need to take I'm fine and we need to divide that word up into 12 other words. Because see, what, what kids tend to do is kids tend to, to think of emotions as good or bad. And, yeah. and instead, we need to take the conversation and say, well, let's talk about what, what comes under good. What are some of the emotions that you think are good? And then you write this down. There's wonderful charts out there. And you know, now in the world of internet, you can certainly go Googling. And think about, and one of the ways I'll say this to kids too is, think about the emojis on your phone. If there were only good or bad in terms of emotions, you'd have two face emojis. Well, how many face emojis are there? There's 50, right? Yeah. So, so let's really figure out what is this face trying to say? And give them the vocabulary, help them to see that. There's not good and bad emotions. There's just lots of different ways to feeling. And all of it is valid and it's all, it's all worthy and it's important to feel it. Because if you don't feel it completely, you hold on to it. And if you hold on to it, it weighs you down. It becomes an anchor. I talk about that in the book. It becomes an anchor. And the problem with an anchor is it comes back later in your life when you're feeling something like that feeling, it comes up in an even bigger way. So if you've ever had an experience where you were, I don't know, irritated by your spouse and, and what should have been a three on the level of irritation on a scale of one to 10 came out as a seven. Well, it's worth stopping and saying, where did that other four come from? Because it, it picked up something else from somewhere else that wasn't released and it came out. So, and kids understand that. I always tell them, you know, emotions just want to be identified, expressed and released. And the, and the image that I give them is, you know, if you can think about being in a swimming pool, and boy, I hope you guys have done what I'm about to say. If you've ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater, have you ever done that? Please don't. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you po- it pops up. You can't, you know, you fall over the side, or you do this way, or it just comes up the front. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, you think you've got it, right? You're sitting on it because you think you've got it. You're feeling good about that. It's where you wanted it to be. 
And always, 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 it comes up and it slaps on the nose on the way up in the air. And that's how emotion is. If you try to hold it down, even when you think you got it, it's going to come up at a time when you least expect it in a big way. So it's better to let the emotion come through as it's happening and go ahead and express it. Don't hold on to emotion. Don't bury it. Let it come up and let it go. And so even in a meditative sort of way, when I'm finding kids in my office struggling with identifying emotion, I'll ask them to close your eyes. Imagine one of the emotions you're feeling right now written on that beach ball. Let's say it's anger. Now let's put that underwater and let's hold it. Let's not sit on it. Let's just hold it with our hands. Let's start feeling whatever it is we're feeling angry about. Let's let ourselves feel angry. It's okay. Let's let ourselves feel angry. And then as you're feeling it, you're allowing the ball to come up, but you're in control. You're the one holding on to it. And when you're done feeling angry, let's push the ball away and feel the next emotion. Well, that's a, that's a visual that lets kids know it's okay to feel any of the things you're feeling. We just have to help you to, to release it. I think that's such great advice, especially for the right now that we're living in with kids, because... Um, I mean, as parents, we've been so concerned about our kids' emotional well-being and having that open dialogue with them. So, like, what you're saying makes so much sense and and I think is also a great reminder of why it's so important right now when our kids are faced with, um, you know, lack of socialization, isolation, sometimes being ignored by their parents. It's it's really helped. I'm sure that you've seen this help kids in your own line of work during the, as we go through this pandemic. Definitely. And, and, you know, we, we tend to sometimes without realizing it, send mixed signals to our children. When we say, how are you? And they say, fine. We're like, okay, good. I'm just checking in. Well, really when you turned around and ended it that way, you're kind of saying it was okay for you to just lump it all together. And really, I'm glad you're okay. And let that's good. Let's move on. Taking the time to sit and talk right now, if nothing else, we do have time, right? So again, let's take, this, let's take this as an opportunity. When you check in with someone, again, when I say, how are you? If I'm calling you, my friend, Ashley, and I'm calling you up and saying, hey, Ashley, how are you? I mean it, how are you? And so let's really sit down and talk about how are you? And then you'll ask me and I'll tell you, well, that's what we need to do with our children as well. Not gloss over it um, and, and not make it feel like it's a conversation. It's sort of like the talk. There's not one talk of emotional well-being. We're going to do this all the time and check in every so often. And it should be as much a part of dinner conversation as how was your day today? And my, I'm on my refrigerator in my kitchen. We have one of those little like emoji charts. I think that you were talking about Dr. B where like there's like 50 different faces. Oh. And so like I have the kids, especially the little one, point to like how she's feeling if she can't really express it. So she'll be like, I'm hungry or I'm sad. And, and I'm like, thank you. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Like, you know, at first my husband was like, what is this? And I'm like, I just think we need to all talk about our feelings. And get- <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's what I would encourage people to do is find the way in which you can piecemeal it down for kids. Again, all emotion wants to be identified uh, and, and expressed and released. All of it does. And, and adults can understand that. The three of us can understand this. If you don't release anger, then over time it becomes resentment. So yeah. true. If you don't release sadness, then over time it becomes depression. Mm-hmm. If you don't release uh, guilt, oh, that's a good one. If you don't release guilt, it feeds into shame. Um, even joy. 
even joy in this moment, if I'm experiencing joy, but I'm also trying to hold on to it, it becomes desperation. On a Sunday before you're going back to work and your vacation's almost over, and we're like, oh, why is it Sunday already? And that went by so quickly. And well, even in, in saying all of that, you're trying to stifle joy. And in yeah. doing that, it becomes desperation. So hmm. all emotions should be experienced as it's happening. When you hear people talk about living present lives and being in the now and being in the moment, all of that is about experiencing emotions as they happen. And so, so part of what I really am trying to do with this book is to say, most of us didn't do that. Most of us, when we dealt with difficult emotions in particular, we felt just enough and then we put it away. And the problem with that is it keeps coming up over and over and over. It's like the beach ball. So instead, let's find a healthy, safe way of releasing our emotions, even all those emotions from the past, so we can all live more presently. So going back to your question of who's this book for, it's for anyone who wants to live a present life, to experience it completely so that they can understand that every moment is just that. It's the moment. And, and you get to experience it, and then you get to move past it. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I talk to you all day, Dr. B. I just love uh, this. Um, so tell our audience where we can get more information about you and where can they go buy your book? Thank you for that. Uh, so the book is on Amazon. So when you go on there to get whatever else you're going to get today, <laughs> go on and get a moment of insight on Amazon. It's also on Audible. I know right now a lot of people would like to listen to their information as much as they would like to read. So it's on Audible. It's a four-hour listen. It's my voice, uh, me talking to you, uh, having a conversation with you. So if you would rather do it that way, that's one way to do it. Um, so that's how you can get the book. I really would love to foster a community just like what you ladies are doing right here. And that means having conversations. So if you want to join me on Conversations on Facebook, it's a moment of insight on Facebook. If you're an Instagram sort of person, then it's the Dr. B moment. But I really just want conversations about mental wellness I want to hear about how you are emotionally, physically, and spiritually well. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. B. Oh, my gosh. I've, I've had such a great time this past 40 minutes or whatever. And I know our listeners are like, hopefully they've taken notes, are going to listen to this again. And I encourage everyone to read Dr. B's book. You're all at home right now. Get it on Audible. Audible. Listen to it during your walks. It will change your life and the way that you look at life. So... Go out and get it. And Dr. B, thank you. We're so grateful for you, for your time. Um, you're just such a, a light worker in this world. So, so appreciative of you. Thank yeah, you. I had a really great time. Thank you, ladies. And if I had another award to give you, I'd give you another award. <laughs> Thanks so much. And thank you, listeners. Thank you for putting us up over the top. We hit a thousand downloads in the summertime. So uh, on Podbean. So we're really excited. We had such a great time doing this podcast. Like I say, mostly because Ashley and I like to talk. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you for your support and for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.